scripture reading is taken from the gospel according to John chapter 6, verse 1, following. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which which he had did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, He said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that were eaten, had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Thousands and thousands of people, men, and women, boys and girls, young people, had assembled to hear Jesus preach. He must have been a remarkable preacher, for even his enemies, when they came to arrest him, fell back under the power of his word. So utterly irresistible in his oratory that enormous crowds of people followed him from place to place, while he was preaching and teaching. And now Jesus had to seek some period of quiet. Word had been received of the death of John the Baptist. And this must have hurt his heart when the disciples of John came to Jesus with the pitiful report that that powerful prophet from God had been beheaded because of the lust of a sought king whose name was Herod. 
and that John's headless body had been buried, and Jesus' disciples and John's disciples needed reflection and comfort and strength. But even when they had started for a period of rest, the crowd still followed him. And it is interesting to notice how Jesus is always turning interruptions into periods of blessing. He could not get away from the throngs. They followed him everywhere he went. And so it was that here a crowd of people kept on following him, and he could not get away from where they were. And you all know this story. It is the one miracle which Jesus did that is recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them record this miracle. This feeding of the 5,000. And looking through the commentators, I'm amazed at the ingenious devices that are employed to explain this away. There are those who say that what really happened was that Jesus flashed a sunny smile and with warm faith in human nature encouraged everybody there to share whatever lunch he had, and so that accounts for the multitude being fed. Baloney. They weren't fed baloney. But that's what I think of that theory and the people who propound it. If Jesus is God, miracles are no problem. If he isn't God, what are we doing here? All right. Jesus, we are told, only had a sacramental meal. He gave everyone a little piece of bread and a little piece of fish, just a morsel, but his doing this was so dramatic and empowering that everyone felt like he'd had a good meal. That's another ingenious device for explaining it away. But again, this is not so. It says plainly that they were filled. Not only filled, but that they took up 12 baskets of the fragments that had remained. It's there. Now what happened is a creative miracle of God. If a farmer from Idaho can take a handful of wheat and sow it into the soil and reap from it a number of pounds of wheat one year and sow those pounds into the soil and then reap from it the next year tons of wheat and then sow those tons of wheat into the soil and reap enormous granaries filled with wheat why should it be thought an incredible thing that the Son of God could capsule the growing process into a moment, into the twinkling of an eye? Here is a creative miracle. In the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we are told that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. If all things were made by Him, that includes wheat, too. It includes barley, too. It includes fishes, too. And so the miracle is no problem for those who believe Jesus is who he claimed to be. The other people have to hobble along with these feeble theories. But how they can ever be of any help to anyone, I'll never know. I got some new glasses last week, and I'd hate to go to an oculist or an optometrist who was blind.
And that's the way I feel about commentators who are blind to the deity of Jesus Christ. Because he is who he claimed to be, then the power of his creative work is here. So, Jesus sees the multitudes. They have come out to him, and a little boy is present. I want to make some observations. Number one, this little boy was in the right crowd. That's very important, to be in the right crowd. I think it's important to be in church on the Lord's Day, to be with God's people to worship him. It shows whose side you're on, and it also affords you an opportunity of praise and prayer and of instruction from God's word. You're in the right crowd. I don't know the history of this little fellow. His name is not told us here. What I do know about him is that he wanted to hear Jesus. And so he had gone, maybe he had seen great crowds of people go by where his house was, and he thought that he would go along and, and hear Jesus also. He'd heard that he had performed miracles, and so he too wanted to go and to see Jesus. His mother had taken for him some little barley loaves. Barley was the food of the poor, and barley bread was the uh, cheapest fare of which bread could be made. So he had five little barley cakes. They would have been roughly about like a biscuit. And he had two little pickled fish. And that was his lunch. And he had gone to hear Jesus. And he was in the right crowd. I talked to a young man recently whose physician had telephoned me and said to me, this boy is now shooting heroin. And uh, I want you to talk with him. I'll send him out to see you. He came out, and we sat down in my study, and we had a conversation together. And I like him. And I'm sorry that he has started this experimentation with drugs. But I had to tell him this. You run with a circle of friends that you'd better get away from or you'll never get off of drugs. Right now you're just piddling with heroin. But if you stay with the people that you're running with now, there's no hope for you breaking away from drugs. I said, number one, you need God and number two, you need to get away from the people you're running with. Well, this little boy was not in the wrong company. He went with the right company. He got with people who would help him. He got to where Jesus was. And this is a great witness, too. Let me just digress to say this. I often have people say to me, how can I witness to other people? I don't know how to verbalize my faith. Well, number one, you can start learning how by reading the scriptures. You can discuss it with someone else who knows how to witness and ask their help, and then you'd just be enormously surprised how God can use the witness that you do bear when you sincerely offer it. So go ahead and witness for him. I remember being in Edinburgh and Scotland uh, to study, and St. George's West is one of the famous churches of all of Scotland. And the greatest minister that St. George's West ever had was Dr. Alexander White. 
Dr. White was a very effective preacher. People used to line up for long distances to get into the church to hear Alexander White preach. And one day, Dr. Alexander White had a visitor. A man walking down the street had noticed out on the nameplate on the gate, there they have a brass tag on the gate, and, and carved into that brass would be the name Dr. Alexander White, Minister of Free St. George's. This man rang the doorbell out at the gate. Dr. White came to the door and unlatched the gate, and the man came in. And he said, I want to talk to you because I'm a Christian and I'm very discouraged. I want to do more for my Lord. I want to be a witness and a light for him. But he said, I feel that my whole Christian life has been a failure. And Dr. White said to him, what is your name? And the man said, my name is Rigby. And Dr. White said, George Rigby? And he said, yes. And Alexander White said, man, I've been looking for you and trying to find your address. And he got up and walked over to his study desk and he took out a bundle of letters that were there. And he said, let me read you some of these letters. He said, you are a salesman. You're a traveler. And you stay often in the hotel on the end of Princess Street near to my church, don't you? He said, yes, sir. And he said, well, here is a letter from a man who says, dear Dr. White, I was staying at the Caledonian Hotel on Princess Street. I met a man at breakfast whose name was Rigby. He invited me to come to your service. I came to church that morning and I heard you preach and God spoke to my heart and my life has been changed. And he went on through a long list of letters from people who had been helped by a man by the name of Rigby who never had realized just what it had done to go and to bring someone else under the preaching of the gospel. The little boy was in the right crowd, and when Rigby pulled other people in the right crowd before the hearing of the word of God, great things took place. Well, the little boy was not only in the right crowd, the little boy gave what he had to Jesus. Now, I'm always fascinated with how this came about. Jesus knew what he was going to do when he saw this crowd of people. But he looked at Philip because he had been besought to send these people away so that they could go to their homes or go to nearby places and find something to eat. And Jesus said to Philip, he said, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little to eat. Must have been a Presbyterian treasurer. 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little to eat. 
Philip was a bookkeeper, I expect. He had a, a mathematical mind, and he was thinking about this crowd of people and how much it would cost, and even if you gave a farthing and, and their little treasury was just about depleted, there was no way they could feed them. It would take six months', six months wages of a laboring man, 200 denarii, to even come close to giving them even a morsel to eat. Well, there is another disciple whose name is Andrew, and Andrew is the patron saint of all people who want to witness both at home and abroad. You remember Andrew is the one who got his brother Simon Peter and brought him to Jesus. And it is people like Peter who made that confession at Caesarea Philippi upon which the Lord Jesus has built his church. Well, this man Andrew is old Watsy's name. No one can ever figure out who Andrew is until someone says, oh, you know Andrew, he's Peter's brother. And then they say, oh, that Andrew. Yeah, I know him. Andrew is the man who always plays second fiddle. There's a little couplet that says, it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Well, <laughs> well Andrew could play second fiddle and he could play it well. And I think that in that great crowd of people, Andrew was just the kind of person who would have been looking around for a little boy and would have made friends with him. And the little guy probably said to Andrew, you know my mama fixed me a lunch today and I like you and I'll give you part of my lunch. Andrew had just that knack. He did not discount the importance of the young people that were there and especially this little boy. And so Andrew is just the one who says to Jesus, there is a lad here, are there are lads here this morning. There is a lad here, he has five barley loaves and two small fishes. How did he know what the little boy had for lunch? He has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? We think of the enormous task of reaching the whole wide world with the Christian message. There is a tale that comes from Germany of an old schoolmaster who was a Christian who used to walk in before his students each day and take off his cap reverently. And someone asked him why he always did this, and he said, I take off my cap with reverence in the presence of these boys because God only knows what good can come from those boys that are there. And one of the boys in his class, so the tale goes, was Martin Luther. You can never tell what will happen. There's one little lad here. He has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but... What are they among so many? There's one little lad here, a 16-year-old, squeaky-voiced, skinny teenager who comes forward under the fiery preaching of a hell-fire-and-brimstone preacher down the sawdust trail. What good will he ever do? He even goes to a Bible school instead of a big seminary but he's only preached to 43 million people face to face, and his name is Billy Graham. Pretty good record. 40 
three million people face to face over a 20-year period. There's a lad here. He's got only two little fishes and five barley loaves, but what are they among so many? An American evangelist by the name of James Coggy went to the city of Nottingham in England, and the person who was converted in that meeting happened to be another 16-year-old boy whose name was William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Pretty good name for an army, isn't it? Salvation Army. We need more armies like that. Look at all the good that has come out of the Salvation Army because one 16-year-old boy by the name of William Booth happened to hear an American evangelist by the name of James Coggy who wrote to him and encouraged him later after the fellow had made his commitment to Christ, you never know what can happen. Well, the little boy gave what he had to Jesus. He brought it to Jesus and gave it to him. And you know, when we bring what we have to Jesus and give it to him, it's amazing what happens. It proved to be a blessing to enormous multitudes of people. He handed it to Jesus. One old Puritan commentator that I read said that when Jesus took the little boy's barley loaves and his two small fishes, that when he took the barley loaves, that that was like springtime and the sowing of the seed and he said the blessing, and then he broke them, barley loaves, and that when he broke them, that was like harvest. The miracle had happened, and he started passing out the bread and the fishes. He went to all the people. I've often wondered how that little boy must have felt as he saw his loaves and fishes multiplied that day. That's the kind of miracle that would impress, wouldn't it? No wonder Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us about it. They were all impressed by it. The multitudes. Think of the people on this planet, three billion people. It's impossible, some people say, to reach them for Christ. It is not. We can get the gospel out. God is full of surprises. And Jesus is full of surprises. He can take these little barley loaves and these fishes and look at what he can do with them. And he can take you and me and work through us. This is an amazing thing which Jesus can do when we give all that we have and all that we are to him. It proved to be a blessing to great multitudes of people. Next month is... Abraham Lincoln's birthday and Carl Sandburg's tremendous book on books on Abraham Lincoln have been a inspiration to me to read. Sandburg has a classic comment in the general store down the muddy road closest to the log cabin where Abraham Lincoln was born. Two old farmers were whittling and one was chewing tobacco and spitting it. And one of them said, is there any news? 
The other one said, no, no news. That Nancy Lincoln's got a baby. That's the only thing that's happened. Nothing ever happens around here. But Abraham Lincoln was born. You can never tell what God can do. The little boy was in the right company. He gave what he had to Jesus and it proved to be a blessing to a multitude of people. Will we give what we have to him? The choir sang very beautifully, I thought. Now, I like their tune to that, take my life and let it be. But let's just don't say to the Lord, take my life and let it be. Yes, let it be, Lord, let it be. You don't want that, do you? Take our lives and give them to him. We're often very hypocritical in the way we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. <laughs> That's what some people sing. Here's one that the people who wrote some of the commentaries I read <laughs> ought to look at. My hope is built on nothing, period. <laughs> Here's another one. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The door is locked and I have a gun within. <laughs> Do we really believe this Christian message, this Christian gospel? If we believe it, then let's give this Christian message to the multitudes. Let's give it to them so that they will hear it and understand it. And let's let it work in our own lives not be embarrassed or ashamed by its demands, nor by Jesus' miracles, nor by his claims on our life, nor afraid to speak his name. Let's just let go and let it happen and let him make us what we ought to be and give ourselves to it. Dr. Billy Graham preached at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he spoke in Miller Chapel there, and at the conclusion of one of his messages, this was in 1953, there were a number of questions that were asked him that had to do with the Bible. And one of the observers who was present on that occasion was one of the leaders of the World Council of Churches, and I read this in a write-up in which this uh, leader told what happened. He said that when one person said, what should be our attitude? toward Holy Scripture. He said that Dr. Graham walked over to the big pulpit Bible and he picked it up and there was a very dramatic silence. And he said that he held this big Bible up toward his mouth. And he said to all of the students, eat, 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 Eat the word of God and share, share, share it out to the whole world. That's a message in itself. That's a message in itself. John Donne, one of the great Elizabethan poets, said regarding Jesus and his power as the word, he saw the word that spake it. He took the bread and brake it. And what that word did make it, 
I do believe and take it. Let us believe it and take it and give it unto the multitudes. Let us stand in prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the great power that thou hast manifested before men. We thank thee that thou hast wrought signs and wonders through the patriarchs and the psalmists and the prophets and the apostles. But best of all, we thank thee for our Lord Jesus himself, whose words were such a miracle and whose deeds were so powerful that we can meet and feed upon them even to this day and in this hour and in this place. Now help us to be willing to give what we have to Jesus and let him take it and bless it and break it and give it unto the multitudes. Help us to be true and faithful to him and rejoice in genuine discipleship And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.